This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today by Steve Renata. He is the owner and managing director of Kiwa Digital. And we had his sister on the show a couple of weeks ago. Kia ora, Steve. Kia ora, Sam. Where are you, Steve? Uh, here in Tamaki, Makoto, Auckland. We've been asking people how their bubble life was, and of course that's now turned into to history, but we're going with it anyway. How was your bubble life? Well, we had a few different bubble lives here in Tamaki Makoto. Um, I sort of think about it in two, two big chunks. The first one was like everybody else, like what the heck is happening here? And uh, just kind of readjusting to uh, staying inside that bubble. Again, we were a little bit fortunate. Uh, we got organised, and I live at the end of a cul-de-sac, uh, which is a, a nice little spot. So the three or four houses around us, we all agreed to be a, a bubble, and that's a real range of people, older, younger, different ethnicities. So that was actually quite helpful as, as time went by. Um, the second one, I think, was was tough, and I think if you speak to a lot of Aucklanders, they would say something similar. <clears throat> it was it sort of felt like, is it ever going to end? And because it was mainly us as opposed to the rest of the country, you know, there's probably a sense of, why us and nobody else type thing. <laughs> All those silly things go through your mind. But, um, you know, I was really proud of what everybody in Auckland did to just suck it up and say, well, let's just get this done and uh, hang in there. And if we do it right, we'll get Christmas, which we did get. <laughs> and did you manage to exercise and get out and about within what you were allowed to do? Yeah, I mean, anybody that knows me is, knows that I'm actually an exercise fanatic, uh, which is I define as some, it's something I do every day. It's like brushing your teeth. Uh, it can be a range of things, from walking to cycling to you know going to the gym, whatever. Um, again, one of the privileged few. I have a small gym down in my garage. Most people have their car in there. I've got a garage, I've got a gym in there, and so that got a lot of use. Particularly in the first lockdown, the weather was really nice, and my neighbour. There's uh, a young guy, sort of 20 years my junior. We used to joke around, you know, old bull, young bull. The young bull used to come over and train with the old bull <laughs> twice a day, actually, at one point. And, um, yeah, I was probably the fittest I've been through the first lockdown. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend, you know, in these situations, if you're able to exercise, whether it's a challenge or not, it can really shift your state. Um, just, you know, keep things going and, and stay positive. It was a big relief when we were allowed back in the harbour, even though it was the middle of winter by then. It did make a big difference, didn't it? Absolutely. And you were working as well? Yeah, work actually went off the chain. Um, I'm a co-owner of a media company, Kiwa Digital, and uh, 
we do a couple of things. One is we develop and license software that's used all around the world by big studios that do things like dubbing for Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Tamir Tamir. And um, as you probably appreciate, watching television or, or streamers went off the rocket through you know, around <laughs> the world. People just couldn't get enough content. So one of the challenges that the big streamers had was running out of content. So being able to dub content from a foreign language to English and reverse really became a big um, interest point and we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So that software started to fly off the shelf, so to speak. And then closer to home, um, we have software that makes native digital apps, particularly apps that are helpful in a cultural contents, helping you learn language, te reo Māori, Pacifica, etc. And um, prior to COVID, I'd found it quite challenging to meet with some of my cultural clients unless it was kanuhi kitikanui. They wouldn't progress in a commercial discussion without meeting belly to belly. Well, as soon as COVID came, <laughs> that was impossible. And suddenly my Zoom diaries just went like triple. I was doing 14-hour days uh, talking to all these people that wouldn't talk to me before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was um, it was pretty interesting. Um, we were lucky with our company because a lot of the stuff we do is, is essentially digital, so you don't have to be you know within a specific building to execute as long as you've got the right hardware and software in front of you. So we were already kind of a little bit ready for that remote working. Um, and so, yeah, things went big. It was nice to be able to not only increase revenue, but also employ staff around the country when so many people were losing jobs. So that was a, an uptick from the and that, COVID experience. that work could carry on remotely from people's homes? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was actually a, a positive outcome of, of COVID is it got a lot of people that weren't aware of how can you use technology to leverage your life, you know, uh, let alone your work in a, in a positive way. And um, and also stay connected. You know, when you're stuck at home, if you can't get out or the weather's not great or there's not that many people in the dwelling you're in, you know, to get on and do a, a FaceTime, a Zoom call, whatever it might be, um, on your tough days, that, that can be the difference, you know, between go, going into darkness and, and staying upbeat and feeling like you're still connected to the world. How did you manage the connections to that rest of the world that were paying you? Um, they were looking for answers like everybody else. Um, some, some, some real examples that were New York and within the United States got hit pretty hard, pretty fast. And so they went into full lockdown very quickly. And so for us, that meant uh, voice talent that do a lot of the dubbing who would normally go to these studios were locked in their very small apartments. And so they were looking for remote technology solutions so they could still do their voiceover type work in that situation. And uh, we, were, we were able to help them out in those cases. And that scenario then played out in a, in a lot of the major cities around the world. So we, we possibly actually became a little bit more connected during the COVID because people were in very adverse, um, desperate situations. And you know, we were compelled to reach out and we were only too happy to oblige and support them where we could. Do you think that will last or are you going to be getting back on the on the planes as soon as you can? Um, I think we're always going to go forward now with a hybrid model. Um, you know, that very, very difficult situation that actually got people some clarity of, you know, if you've got option A, option B, what can you do? 
And what we're seeing is hybrid solutions. For sure, people are wanting to get back to their studios, particularly if they've got a lot of capital investment or rent structures or whatever it might be, and all the, you know, the, the socialisation things that you need. But we also know now that you can do a lot of stuff in a remote situation. Um, again, just drawing real examples of this, you know, some of our staff are young uh, parents and the ability to not have to worry about drop-offs to school and pickups, you know, have that flexi working um, really was a game changer for some, of, for some of our staff so that when we got out of lockdown, they in fact said, would it be okay if I continue to work two to three, three to two days at home? And the answer was absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's, it was funny how you sort of got the ups and the downs. So I think, you know, we'll probably go forward with life and, and, and some sort of hybrid model. Let's take the first of your music choices. We're going for an old one. Let's go for Howard Morrison to rein up. Why this one? Um, well, first of all, I'm 56. I was a product, you know, born in 66. And um, my dad was a, a bit of a crooner, you know, Māori, um, could play guitar well, uh, could sing with with good rhythm. And um, I was around an era of the, the Howard Morrison quartet of the 60s. Anybody that's sort of my vintage will know what I'm talking about. It was kind of our version of uh, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and all those amazing artists. We had the same thing here in New Zealand through the 50s and the 60s. And so, um, you know, Howard, Sir Howard, um, Tar Howard, when he got to sing How Great Thou Art in Te Reo Māori to the Queen, uh, that was a, a landmark moment as a child for me. I was like, wow. And, you know, this guy, could he could sing, you know, as a sort of a operatic type <laughs> singer, not just as a pop singer. So I was always kind of um, inspired by what he was trying to do back then. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful song. Tirina, the way he sings it. Um, yeah, maybe some of the younger audience out there might even like it after they hear it. <laughs> <laughs> The magic will be 
simple mystery The wonders will soon unfold The future is yours to hold Oh, quella Vacune d'ancora Talk about the other side of the business being the what did you describe them as native digital apps? How did you get into that? Um, great question, but it's sort of a funny story. So, my previous life in Kiwi was I was one of the co founders of Les Mills International, the world's largest group fitness company, which started here in Auckland, and um, spent you know half my adult life traveling around the world helping people fall in love with Les Mills Group Fitness. During that experience, um, a lot of the time we were training staff, whether that be the instructors who were going to teach the classes to the members, the group fitness manager of the club, uh, perhaps the studio owners, the club owners who needed to make some commercial decisions and so forth. And um, all of that training experience, when I came back to New Zealand, I saw an opportunity that um, training adults, particularly with culture and language, is, is actually pretty challenging. You know, you're asking people to take on a new cultural protocol or perhaps try to say, um, you know, welcome to Dunedin and Māori, which is no my haramai ki puti puti, which could be perceived as like pretty easy, but for adults, often it's a real challenge. So um, with Kiwa Digital, they're already doing digital e-books for children. And I looked at the technology that was within the company at the time. I thought, you know what, this is fantastic to help people start to speak a little bit of te reo Māori in the workplace, for example. And, it, and in my sort of, um, you know, slightly cynical view on life is that adults are just big kids anyway, right? So why wouldn't we try that technology with an adult audience, with, with adult uh, narrative? And it, it just went, went off like a dream. It worked absolutely so well. First thing people say is, oh, my goodness, this tool makes me feel really safe when I'm trying to have a go at trying to speak to Real or Pacifica or whatever the second language might be. So uh, that was what sparked it off. And, um, you know, we've now produced um, tools that are 
supporting over 10% of all of Aotearoa's workforce that are on that journey, which is um, pretty bloody cool, actually. And you're doing that for a whole range of different businesses. Is, is that the approach you're taking? Like I saw one for the fire service and, and, and New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, my, a lot of this was driven by uh, central government, uh, particularly over the last sort of five or six years where there has been a, a big resurgence in uh, te reo Māori as a, as a national language. Um, from that, that spread out to regional government, education, um, and then all the big corporates, particularly those corporates that do business with government. And so there's like that kind of ripple effect that's going on. Um, the other thing that's driven this is the shift in the curriculum at our schools, you know, preschool, primary school, high school. And there is more uh, te reo coming through and Pacifica. And the, the one that's really driving this now is the new New Zealand histories, which has obviously um, new content, both Māori and non-Māori. So all of those factors together is, um, I guess, you know, Aotearoa, we're growing up as a nation, trying to really get a fix on our real identity as New Zealanders, um, as opposed to our colonial past, which is awesome. But who are we really down here in the South Pacific? And I think that's, you know, playing out in the way it is, which, uh, again, you know, I, I think we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. I think we've got over 150 ethnicities in this country. Um, and people are starting to understand that you get more unity when you understand and accept people's differences. You've only recently-ish come into the IT, the, the new media space, but that probably gives you a good angle to it. Do you think that it is... Is the IT industry, is the IT profession honouring the treaty? There's a reason for that for that question, that the yeah, Tipu Kanga gives us an opportunity to rethink the curriculum. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a question for almost two more podcasts. <laughs> but I'll give you my, my view from Kiwa Digital, Steve Renata's perspective, is that I think there are aspects of the IT digital sector that are really trying to honour Te Tiriti or Waitangi. Um, it's how you go about honouring it, I think, is the, the key area, the approach. And a lot of that is, comes back to a simple process, is to ask mana whenua, so the local iwi, local hapu in the area you live, what do they want from digital, from IT? that honours the titiriti. And, you know, you travel the length of the country, the mutu, and you're going to hear different perspectives of the iwi because not all iwi are at the same place at the same time. They've got different aspirations. But I think that's the first thing you can do is, with the greatest intentions, if you're non-Māori, don't assume anything. Ask first what they're after. And then once you've established whatever that, that kaupapa is, that kōrero, that whakaro, thinking and discussion, the, what are the different ways that you can honour it with digital? Because digital is a you know, small word with a big meaning. There's a lot of things that come into <laughs> digital. I think on the other end, what I'm seeing, which is a little concerning because I'm in it every day, is that the IT departments um, in a lot of big organisations have really become a powerhouse of, of control because so much of our life is driven by digital and we get into all sort of security, personal privacy data, all this sort of stuff. You know, banks getting hacked, health systems getting hacked. 
And I'm now coming into situations whereby when we are producing native digital apps for organisations, public and private, which is really as simple as, you know, explaining to you what tikanga or Māori protocol is or how to pronunciate kia or how to say your introduction, your pēpeha, we're getting stopped by IT security issues. And, and I get where they're trying to come from, but the stuff we're dealing with, you know, it's not um, bank details or any you know, mm-hmm. confidential personal information. And um, I'm hitting some pretty brick walls where I've almost been at a point going, you guys are almost in breach here of I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking yeah. it. Um, and so I think we're at that interesting, that interesting crossroad of, um, you know, how can digital honour Titiri Waitangi and um, yeah, that's probably a big conversation that should be had sooner rather than later. I think it's going to happen this year. Do you, do you think we can fix it with education of the graduates or do we, is it the graduates and the people already in the workforce? Um, well, first and foremost, I think you can fix anything in the world with education. The more education we have, the people understand you know, all the information and the context of information is important and also the language that's used. Um, so, yes, absolute education is the way forward. Um, again, my sort of slightly cynical life view is it's always harder to, to change older people. You know, I'm 56 and trying to get me to change what I've been doing would have been easier when I was 36. You'd probably just be able to, you know, get me across the line. So I think if you want to get fast momentum of the most amount of people on the new kopapa, on the new direction, aim for the youth you know, the, the graduates that are coming through, and then just work your way through the established workforce, not necessarily by age either, but more by those that are willing to shift. You know, it's that bell-shaped curve of life. You know, who's who's on the front 15%, the, the influencers, and they'll be a mixture of people. Um, so work your youth, work your top 15% influencers, and then see how you get on with the rest. For those... IT groups that you come into contact with, which aren't necessarily putting up <clears throat> barriers, but are putting up barriers perhaps just by not being perhaps as understanding as they might be. What's the is, – is there a simple fix? Is it a long-term fix? Or, or is, what would you do to make a difference? I think context is always helpful for everybody. It doesn't matter which sector you're in. And when I think of, of some of the – um, IT digital folks that I deal with, and these are incredibly intelligent people. You know, let me be clear here: I have huge respect for, for ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the people I meet. They're also being trained and, and incentivized in some ways in a certain approach to data, if you like. Data being text, words, whatever it might, you know, all that stuff. It's called data. If you put a Maori worldview on top of that to start with. It makes you rethink. Well, first of all, who owns what? You know, because you get into the the ownership part. Or the Maori view would be more of a kaitiaki. We're guardians of. We own nothing, but we we're guardians of stuff forever. So I think an understanding of the Maori worldview is helpful to at least understand why these people on the other side, Maori, seem to be so different in their view. And if you don't understand that, it will feel like absolute conflict from step one. I think that is helpful. Um, also for Māori to understand 
the you know the real 2022 realities of the challenges of trying to maintain confidentiality, privacy, and, and so forth. And you know, I'm really close to the industry, and even for me, I feel like I'm you know half a step behind trying to keep up. So I think there's a bit of education on both sides. And then the last one I think would be, and this is in a, you know, sort of a multi-step process to sort of everybody's happy and working together is find some low-hanging fruit projects that you can, that both parties can sink their teeth and say, well, let's have a crack at this and become a model for the world, you know, in terms of Indigenous um, IT uh, collaboration. And, um, you know, I'm the eternal optimist. There are some incredibly passionate and intelligent uh, leaders in New Zealand, both Māori and non-Māori. I think if you put them in the right room for a couple of days and give them something very simple to focus on, is it, you know, here's a problem, fix it. I think all the answers are here. We're, 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 a, we're an incredibly agile country. We've proved it over and over again. Uh, we just got to remember to love each other in the process. A, a bit of aroha goes a long way. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi nui, kia koutou, ko I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i've been having a wonderful time of course as we launch into our school holiday program and the wild dunedin festival here in autiporti Dunedin. as a part of my role my heart's home, Orokunumi Eco Sanctuary. I'm able to frolic about with many life forms in order to celebrate the beauty and magnificence and power of our infinite and eternal living world, which of course is so precious and enables us to feel that sense of oneness and connection that is so sustaining and that is so inspiring for us all. So today I have been filling the meridian more with many beautiful native trees and native lizards and native bugs and all sorts of wonderful human beings have come to visit me and we've reveled in the beauty of ourselves and these life forms reflected back upon each other and really enjoyed the connection that is possible to feel and grow and I'm very excited that my dear friend Upoko David Allison, who we all know and love, who's 85, who wrote the original Taipuri proposal for Karatani, so the original marine reserve document for beautiful Karatani, a coastal settlement here. He will be celebrated as a surprise as part of the Wild Dunedin Festival launch this evening so it's very exciting and I'm really really looking forward to that I of course am going to be making a giant costume which I'm very excited about and my favorite doing this under extreme time pressure so I will be creating a giant costume having 
also packed down multitudes of trees and returned them to Rivenwood Nursery and returned beautiful native invertebrates and reptiles to their loving homes. So of course this draws me back to time and how we understand time as a species. In many ways time can be however we choose it to be, much like most facets of our reality, our perception of it controls our feelings around it and I know for myself that at times time can feel uh, like an uncomfortable item of clothing that is too tight and putting pressure on me. At other times it can feel highly supportive and of course this is up to me. I'm looking forward to the challenge of creatively harnessing the power of gravity with my costume and large headpiece, but also learning new ways to do things more efficiently with the time that I have and having a sense of achievement with this. Also, time can be such a wonderful friend to us in the sense of the mysterious and the unexpected. Who would have known that more than 40 years ago when Upoko David started drafting the Taipuri that here he would be being celebrated at 85 and all of that work having continued and been so successful and of course this reminds us that when we feel a dream and when we feel an inclination towards taking action in a certain direction when we feel inspired and when we feel empowered, when we feel that something is right and the right thing to do, sometimes this can be time giving us a little nudge and telling us, yes, this is absolutely the right thing to do. Go ahead. So I really hope for you, you're enjoying the positive aspects of time's embrace and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Steve Renata. Steve, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, in terms of changes, are you thinking sector specific or sort of trend theme specific? Anything you like. Um, I'll go for an easy one because it's my, my background, which is uh, health and wellness or ho water, as we'd say in, in, in Māori. I think we are at a crossroads now of understanding that the health system is often at the bottom of the cliff for citizens and trying to do the best it can do with the resources and you know the history that it has. I'm a firm believer, having lived this sort of life, is that, yes, we need to have a health system that's organised and um, accessible and, you know, has all the cultural pieces fixed up and, you know, there's leaders in different types of medical technology. But let's work on how we, we help people to avoid having to go there in the first place. And it's simple stuff. You know, nutrition, big one. Um, anybody that's listening that's got, you know, even half an interest in health and says, you know, what's the one thing I do? Wipe out your sugar, folks. Reduce your sugar content. If you don't do anything else in your life, 
and you reduce your sugar right down, you're on a, you're on a home run straight away. So nutrition is a big one, educating all whānau, all communities on, you know, what is healthy nutrition. It should be something that's in program and at school and rolls through. Um, and then what are healthy forms of activity? You know, I'm an, I'm an exercise fanatic, you know, I was a rugby fanatic, did triathlon, got a Guinness Book of World Records for 24-hour cycling. So I'm, I'm at the extreme end. But what I do know from having done a lot of extreme stuff is that a little bit of activity, your personal preference for, for that activity, every day is good for you. So nutrition, activity, sleep, not just going to sleep, but getting quality sleep is another key part to recovery and, you know, being able to just take on every day. And then last but not least, and I'm not sure how to describe this properly, but it's the sense of maybe it's overused as a word too, is resilience. You know, life is not always fair. Life deals up some pretty weird and tough things that you think, why me? Why is this happening to me? And rather than sort of doing the big sulk and upset, I would say, you know what? Think of adversity as an opportunity. Every time something negative happens to you or it's challenging, whatever, yes, you're going to feel something that's, that's whatever it is for you. Everybody's different. But ask yourself, what can I learn at this moment? Is there, is there some learning in here which sometimes annoys people when you say that? What's the little learning that I can take from this adverse moment? And secondly, how can I strengthen myself mentally, emotionally, physically, so if it happens again, piece of cake, I got this. And, you know, when I look at, at our kids, you know, I've got uh, 12 to 19-year-olds in my home, all beautiful girls. I look at the life that they're about to go to compared to the life that my sister and I and Heidi grew up in Milton, you know, in a little wee town, I'm in New Zealand, biggest city. We didn't have anything digital. It was different. And we, we were, I guess we were served up a lot of resilience training, adversity training. We didn't actually think about it at the time because we were all out kind of working and hanging out and doing stuff. And so I think... Anything that can help the youth today to understand what adversity is, and that's not about whether it's fear or not, it's just stuff that happens. And you're able to sort of, you know, walk up to it, approach it, navigate around it, go through it, around it, whatever. Tick that off and know there's going to be another one tomorrow or down the road, and you just get stronger. And with that strength comes confidence. And I would go as far as to say probably some pride pride in your, your whānau, pride in your school, pride in your community. And if you can feel that confidence, uh, feeling safe, feeling confident, some sort of pride, I think you're on your way to have a great life. The theme of our show is positive but not deluded. And I think you're describing something in that kind of space. How do you see that positive mindset and the sort of the, the critical realism sitting alongside it? Um, probably the sense that, you know, you, you're right. The idea of sort of positive thinking is going to save everybody. That's not true. I think it's the framing of how do you find or identify something positive in a negative situation, which can be hard, you know, and the feel if you're in a personal conflict or, you know, you get, you're in an accident, you fall off your bike. You know, I was, I'm a cyclist riding down the road and this random accident literally flipped off my bike. I thought I'd snap my neck. And, you know, I'm in a great deal of pain and blood pouring out of the side of my face. And I'm thinking at that split second, why me? What did I deserve to get that? And there were a whole lot of things racing through my head. And I thought, first of all, have I broken anything? Don't think so. Have I hurt some stuff? You bet. 
let's get home. Let's get home. And, and then quickly after that, all I could think about was, what do I need to do to recover? Because I love cycling. Instead of sitting there feeling sorry for myself, and yeah, I had some bruises and stuff, but all I could focus on was, no, not all I could focus on. What I decided to focus on, because you have a choice. I sort of, what do I need to do to get myself better so I can get out with the boys and tell war stories about how big the crash was and how long the cup was? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's about, you know, your own person. You, you, life is about personal choices. I'm not being philosophical about it, but the only thing you can truly control is the way you allow yourself to feel and think about something. You can't control anything else. You might think you can, but you can't. So if you know that you've got that choice, then you've got to start playing with in the difficult, challenging situations. Maybe just do a bit of a warm-up one. Like, okay, if this happens and I, you know, I feel angry or I feel sad or I feel you know, nervous, at that moment, change your, your decision to feel what? Not that. And you'll probably, if you've never done this before consciously, you'll actually surprise yourself think, oh, actually, I don't feel as negative, anxious, frustrated, angry as I thought I was going to be. It's something less. It might be just neutral. And so that sort of practice makes perfect thing. And, and again, I go back to when you get the win, you, you suddenly go, it's like a little internal confidence thing goes on. It's like, well, okay, I wasn't speaking that. It feels good or it feels natural, neutral. And you get a few more runs on your belt and then suddenly you start to feel like, okay, I'm in control of life instead of life being in control of me. I need to squeeze in James Taylor, your smiling face. Why this one? Uh, James Taylor, again, um, came through a, an era that I would describe as kind of like American folk music where James Taylor started to cross over into pop. And if you've ever seen this guy, whether it's on TV Live, the way he plays the guitar, which was one of my dreams to play the guitar and play it well, it, it's just mind-boggling. And so I love James Taylor as an artist, as a guitarist. And uh, the lyrics of his songs, you know, this is uh, stuff of folklores. So uh, between Harold Morrison and James Taylor, yes, it is a certain period of music I get, um, but they're just both real class to me. And uh, the lyrics often are saying stuff that I'd like to say. Yeah. How much longer 
I have some questions to end the show and not very much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, hands down, my daughter. Our daughter, Grace Sophia Renata. Yeah, no, I've done a few things in my life, but um, as most parents would agree, I think uh, your greatest thing you've achieved is to, to have children and, and um, that they succeed in life, full stop. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? What got you into the mansion? <laughs> um, belief that we can always be better. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, it's a, you know, I've never been asked that question before. You'd have to probably define what activist means, um, but if it's someone that's, um, you know, I think of a stereotypical version where someone's loud and out, you know, protesting for whatever, probably not. Um, I am someone with strong views. It's probably not out publicly loud, but working in the background in another way to get towards the same result. Maybe a passive activist might be the right term, <laughs> if that's actually a good phrase. <laughs> We had a lot of people say, I'm, I'm an activist, but not a Greenpeace activist. And then eventually we <laughs> talked to someone from Greenpeace and he said, I'm, a, I'm an activist, but I'm not a Greenpeace activist. Yes, you are. <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, this, the, the chance to have another day in my life. And this will sound a little bit off the edge. Is Can I be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday? So That's I'm, a very, very, I'm very grateful for my life. You know, I've had a few ups and downs myself, but some game, if you ask me every night before I go to bed, you know, how happy I am about being alive, I'd say. I mean, I'm, I'm freaking 25 out of 100, uh, 25 out of 10. You know, it's it's uh, it's game on it's to be alive, especially in a country like New Zealand. I mean, what's not to like? So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Um. I think a, a, a challenge is that I am a person who is highly motivated for a variety of things in life. Um, I've tried to keep myself fairly fit and healthy on the way. I'm 56 now, and I've noticed that my energy levels, as much as I try to deny it, are not the same as they were 10 years ago. So I'm kind of in a, in a little mental war with myself. I was, how do I maintain this high-performance lifestyle doing all of these things, some of which are you know, challenging, mentally, physically, whatever, and um, not blow myself out physically. 
And um, that's a daily battle I have because I'm incredibly competitive with myself. Nobody else. Um, if you ask people close to me, they probably say something like, the guy's a freaking workaholic and he just thrashes himself. And, and you know what? They're probably right. But that's who I am. That's how I'm wired up. Um, and so uh, without being, you know, so stubborn that I actually end up in hospital, I am definitely thinking about, all right, how do I keep this going without slowing down and stopping? I'm probably my greatest fear is stopping, if I'm truthful. And I only just said that now, so I thought about it. I think it's the thought of stopping is like, oh my goodness, how's that going to work? <laughs> which, which might be the solution in itself. So lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um... Love you, love the people around you with all your spirit and, and passion, and, and love yourself. Forgive yourself and love yourself, and um, treat people the way that you'd expect them to treat you. And I think I think you'll have a pretty good life. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for joining me. Bicycle, see you. Thank you. been listening to blowing bubble positive conversations with people in their bubbles their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we are broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is queen's bicycle race I'm Samuel Man and Sawyer's Dave and I have been joined from Auckland by Steve Renata. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Well. I want to ride my bicycle.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.